All right, cool. That should be enough to cut out all the fuckery. <laughs> Except for now we just started the fuckery. We did just start the fuckery. That's all right. All right, folks, we are back for another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. I am joined as normal by my co-host, Nick. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing pretty good. That's enough of that. We are joined today by Heath Foley of Red Panda Miniatures. He's going to be talking about his upcoming Kickstarter and uh, some of his other stuff that he's been working on. Heath, how you doing, man? I am doing awesome. Thanks for having me on here, Tim. You are very welcome. And yes, as usual, please ignore Nick. He will not say anything the whole goddamn time we're broadcasting. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I made it a point to cut him off just to prove that, yes, I will cut him off when necessary. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I hate you. <laughs> so he, I'm going to send a... I'm going to send a gang of furries to your house. God damn it, we're going to get started on that topic already. <laughs> I was going to say, we might, as well, we might as well go ahead and jump on top of that subject. We're not I... jumping on furries. No, no. Let's talk it. I want to make sure that, okay, so folks that are listening, Heath has a Kickstarter coming out for his company, Red Panda Miniatures. They look really fucking cool. Um, they are anthropomorphic. Yes. Use the, uh, we're going to use the classical term on this. But he's he's making them more for like an alternate fantasy slash D and D RPG style setting with the idea that later on, if I remember from reading this, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you will be doing a game based on the world of Wander. Yes, absolutely. That is a game plan. Um, yeah, all the characters for this game. Speaking speaking of furries, let's just get it off the table. Um, although I have. Absolutely nothing against the furry community. You guys do what you're going to do. Um, these miniatures are not visually along that standpoint. Uh, I have done a pretty good job being in the industry for about six years doing concept art professionally of designing a lot of animals in armor. So I know the ins and outs of it. So I wanted to start this uh, miniature line. I decided that um, there wasn't a lot of... I was working on a lot of chibi stuff for Soda Pop at the time for uh, Super Dungeon Explorer and whatnot, which I really enjoyed, but uh, there's a certain amount of chibi stuff in our industry that doesn't exactly... Um, I don't know. There, there's something about it that doesn't entirely look right to me or that I enjoy, so I just thought, you know, why don't I do my own version of chibi, or at least cartoony, and then apply all these animal characters? And I kept trying to figure out where did I get these character ideas from, and it's because as a kid I grew up watching Disney movies or watching Disney cartoons or, hell, I mean, Zootopia just came out recently. The second I saw that, I was like, oh, I picked a good time to release these suckers. Um, so, yeah, that's where a lot of the inspiration behind those guys came from. Nice, nice. So, you, Disney, so before we go off on the furry tangent, because that's going to happen. Like, it's, we've already established that shit's going to happen. <laughs> For you, a lot of this started because of Disney, and like they, they've always done a very pr prolific job of like make anthropomorphizing animals. Yes. So for those of you that don't know what anthropomorphize means, it means making animals more human. Go read a goddamn book. Anyway, um, so let's continue on that subject. So you just <laughs> you you really kind of fell in love with Disney and like that concept, and you decided that you're just going to take it and run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, like I said, I've been working in the industry for a while, and uh, I kind of—I mean, I've drawn every genre I can think of um, for horror, sci-fi, fantasy, um, realistic, uh, cartoony—you name it. I've probably drawn it. So with these characters, basically, I wanted to uh, take some inspiration from uh, Disney for sure. I mean. It's it's hard not to. I, I grew up with that stuff as a kid. But I also needed this project as a change of pace because I've gotten a lot, of lot, a lot of work from Mantic Games over the years, designing dwarves and elves and things in armor and demons that are going to give people tetanus when they bite them and half-naked girls are going to fight those demons that are going to give them tetanus. I needed a change of pace. And I think that's something I'm seeing in the industry a lot now is like, Everything doesn't have to be skulls and spikes and armor and tetanus and half-naked women, although all those things are nice. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that. Um, I just I wanted to do something different. I wanted to try and set up a kind of fun, colorful, vibrant world with these miniatures. And like you were saying earlier, 
Right now, we're just launching the miniatures, and we're working into actually putting them into their own game, which I'm really excited about. But I'm not going to give too much info on that because it's in the such early alpha stages. We've got it 99% mentally figured out, but that can all change very quickly once you start putting a pen on paper and realize, oh, all these rules are garbage, and we're idiots. So a game will eventually come out, but uh, for now, we're just launching some minis. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So... I mean, it definitely shows, you know, I know I've mentioned this a few times, but, like, you know, on the business side of things, it always helps to know that, like, you're not just going, we has minis, and, like, give us your Kickstarter money and you'll never hear from us again kind of crap. You are actually looking at taking everything that you're doing and giving it a purpose outside of the fact that you have miniatures. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think outside of that situation, uh, people making minis just for the sake of making minis. I mean, it's fun, it's great to do, but as far as a business model, short term, just doesn't work, man. I can put out a lot of cool minis. That's that's not the question. I know the right guys, I, I know all the talent, I know casters, I know everyone. Uh, but the question is longevity. How do you actually stay in the industry doing this stuff and, long story short, make a game? Or make a game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the plan is is to have um, to, to stick around for a while, is to make these minis. And part of the game plan is, too, is for every mini in this Kickstarter campaign that we're going to come out with, the, uh, the base goal and working in stretch goals, they're all going to be usable in the game somehow. I don't know if they're going to work as NPCs or if they're going to be playable, but uh, my buddy and I, who I'm working on this game with, are dedicated to making these characters playable. Just because... I, I, I feel like it would be an absolute shame if you couldn't actually play with these miniatures. Cool. So, your game design, then, are you thinking more along the lines of, like, more of a, a dungeon crawl style, like, RPG-like game, say, like, Super Dungeon Explorer or Arcadia Quest? Or are you thinking more along the lines of, like, this is going to be more of a skirmish-style game, such oh. as uh, Malifaux or... Uh, Oh, man, I have worked on skirmish-style games before, and that whole idea... thats that, I, We're definitely going board game. It's definitely going to be a dungeon-delving board game like Arcadia Quest or Super Dungeon Explorer or Mice and Mystics. That's what we're aiming for. Again, like I said, early stages, things may change, but it's definitely going to be a board game. There's definitely going to be some kind of dungeon-delving aspect. Uh, and we've had some fun ideas with the campaign system and how the enemies are going to work. Uh, I like the idea of actually choosing from multiple missions at the beginning and then funneling down to no matter what, you're going to end up on the final level, but your path to get there is modular. So you can have fun figuring that way out. But, uh, yeah, I've I've tried to design for skirmish games before. Uh, it is complicated. <laughs> there is an absolute crap ton of rules and balancing, and not to mention every single individual character has to get counterbalanced against this and against that. It's just a nightmare. So, uh, yeah, for at least a first game project, I've always loved Dungeon Delvers. I mean, I grew up on Heroes Quest. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the game plan. Turn it into a Dungeon Delver. Nice, nice. So, um, on the Dungeon Delver side, like, so let, let's talk about that a little bit more. Obviously, you're still in the very early stages of that, so mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask for specifics, but are there any of those... I guess more for our listeners, are, are there any of those dungeon delvers out there that you've really been kind of like, those are the ones where it's like you hit home and I'm not stealing, but like I'm really borrowing a lot of inspiration from these games in particular. That way it kind of gives people an idea of what it is you're somewhat shooting for. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw this out with a giant warning of things change. Um... So as, being as vague as humanly possible, because I love doing this, um, we have been playtesting a lot of Dungeon Delvers, really kind of getting a feel for what we want to do. And that's something that uh, my friend is incredibly good at. He literally stays up at night when you can't sleep and he thinks of game rules. When he's like, Instead of counting sheep, he's like, I wonder if I rolled this, what would happen? That's how he goes down at night. So I'm like, okay, awesome, perfect dude to partner up with. Um, as far as what we're generally aiming for, um, I brought up Mice and Mystics earlier because that's probably one of the clearer ideas in mind. I don't think it would be as uh, campaign, or not campaign, that's, that's the wrong word for it. It wouldn't be quite as 
deep, story-driven as that system was, I, although I love that. I love the fact that you can read through, you know exactly what's happening, you know the setting. I love the feel of Mice and Mystics. It sets up a world beautifully, and you're getting in there and you're fighting rats and roaches and centipedes and cats, and it, it really solidifies that world. So that's something that I'm really hoping that we can aim for. And I like a lot of the gameplay in Mice and Mystics, just how simplistic some of the enemies are coming at you and attacking you. So stuff like that I really enjoy. Although other things I enjoy as well as far as like an armor system would be Super Dungeon Explore. They have an amazing system with how you can kind of level up your characters with a shared pool of treasure, uh, dishing out armor and swords, whoever needs this, whoever needs that. That's great. I've always enjoyed that as well. And then on top of that, uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault and uh, Arcadia Quest both kind of have that choose a campaign, you go from here. If you fail, you can try it again or go try another earlier campaign. But if you succeed, you get something special and then you keep moving on. Those are kind of some of the core aspects we're playing with. Uh, we're also trying to figure out some kind of system so as you're playing through just one sitting, uh, you have characters actually get better and get more abilities as they go, uh, almost kind of like an adrenaline system. But uh, we're still figuring it out, like I said, but those are at least... Sure the very vague basics I can give. Nice, nice. So, okay, so that, that kind of helps talk a little bit about what's going on in the future. Obviously, the big thing right now is you getting the miniatures done. So let's talk about that a little bit. You, you've, yeah. been, you've been in the industry, you said, for about six years now. Like, what companies have you sculpted for? What, what other works outside of you, I guess if you want to call it going independent, doing Red Panda, would people know you for? What have you worked on? Um, well, I do concept art first and foremost, uh, but that's cool. It's, it might as well be the same thing, although there's so many damn talented sculptors out there. Um, who have I worked with? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the whole list. I, I think there's something about 17 titles I've worked on before. Uh, Mantic Games is one of my bigger ones. Basically everything they've put out over the past five years I've touched uh, one way or another, um, either done designs for or just helped give suggestions and things for that. Although Manta Games is very good about giving me some freedom with doing some design work, they've also learned very quickly that I'm insane and that some of my free ideas are not good. They get, once gave me some freedom on, a, uh, on, I think it was Dreadball. I was supposed to design a Dreadball team, and uh, I came up with this ridiculous MVP who was basically like Flubber from the Robin Williams movie, uh, but he was, in a suit of, he was in a suit of power armor, so I love the idea of the sentient ooze and this humanoid power armor that anytime you broke a rule, he came over and killed you and then just like flubbered his way away to go after the ball. Uh, <laughs> and they looked at that and they're like, uh, this is great, but we can't use it because it's insane. And I was like, fair enough, I get it. Luckily, though, during one of their other Dreadball campaigns that they did, uh, they ended up using that design, which made me so happy. <laughs> There's a whole team of little like gelatinous oozer players now. It's so good. Uh, besides them, um, I've also worked with a group called Anvil 8 Games. They produce um, Ethereum, which is, I don't know if it's gotten that popular yet, but it deserves to be because it's a fun game. Basically, it, it's, it's definitely one of those games, like I could speak on that, where it's like it, it just needs that extra kick in the ass. Like it needs more people out there really pushing it because it is a fantastic game. Yeah, but they are they are a small crew, and what they've already done so far is really impressive. I mean, they just got through their second Kickstarter uh, to support uh, the Ikaru, which are kind of this Japanese corporation. If you don't know anything about Ethereum, it's basically... Uh, oh, God, i, I got to remember the pitch. It's basically like a Matrix-esque game. Basically, they figured out that there's an energy between every atom and that the scientists tap into it into this infinite cyber void that they then try and slowly take over. And basically it starts getting run over by corporations and a government state. And then there's other characters like hackers that want to keep it free. So the whole idea is you're fighting over this digital space. But uh, in the actual game itself, uh, if you shift a tile in a certain direction, like the whole game mat has these shifting tiles that you can use a certain amount of points to actually move around. If you get caught in the white space that's not defined territory, you end up getting uh, shredded. So it's very cool, very worth checking out. Um, beyond beyond that, uh, on the Lamb games, I actually got my start with them. They came out with Endless Fantasy Tactics. They're another small company, but uh, man, that game is so much fun. Not to mention I like the minis. I did design uh, 
about 90% of them. They've got something like 75 that they actually have as part of the playable game. Uh, and then more, more recently, I've been working with uh, Soda Pop a whole lot, uh, just doing illustrations and designs. and It has been a nice change of pace. Like I said, work on big, gritty, you know, tetanus-toothed demons and half-naked women. When you get to draw uh, more half-naked women, but they're really cute and chibi, it's a nice change of pace. Nice. So you, you, you've been around quite a bit then. This yeah. Is, like, is your first, like, Red Panther, <laughs> your first foray into anything in the industry? No, no. I, uh, I wouldn't have honestly thought about even starting a company or starting a miniature line uh, until recently. Uh, like I said, about six years in, I knew a couple of sculptors. I knew some casters. Uh, I started learning stuff about 3D printing, and I thought, like, why... I should start a miniature line. I'll do something fun. You know, I've always been playing with the idea, but you know, recently it was like, oh god, I can actually do that, can I? It doesn't take much money up front. Oh. <laughs> then from from there, things just started developing really quickly, and uh, lo and behold, I think we are 12 days away from the official Kickstarter launch on June 20th, which I am super stoked about. Sweet. Nice. So, so tell us a little bit about. Wander. So, like that—that's kind of like your fantasy realm that is, yes, based around your Kickstarter. Yes. Um. <laughs> uh, to not dork out too hard on an, a world I created. Um, basically, the world of Wonder, uh, in my mind, has always been this fantasy world again inhabited by these anthropomorphic animals. Basically, they almost like Zootopia. They took uh, the role of where humans evolved instead. It was kind of animals evolving instead. So in my mind, this world is pretty big, pretty vibrant, but it's also a very conflicted world. Um, there is a giant war raging uh, between two giant factions, which is an empire, and then this undead faction up in the north. And they're basically going at each other nonstop, but there's so many things kind of happening under the radar like the Empire subjugating its citizens, or this undead force is not exactly what you think it is. Um, I want the world to be very unique and open and fun, uh, because there's too many... I feel like in our industry, there's a lot of grit. There's a lot of crunchy, gravelly settings that are post-apocalyptic, or there's war raging for 40,000 years, or... Uh, all sorts of things, so I wanted to start kind of trying to build a world that wasn't, that's in between something cute and fun, like Super Dungeon Explorer and Crystallia, that world they built for that, versus something like 40k. I want something where there's conflict and strife, but I also want something where there's this sense of wonder to it. Um, and the whole name with Wander came about um, when I was trying to think of what kind of story I wanted to tell within that world where there's all these big epic events happening, but I didn't want to share all the details of that. I wanted a group of characters to kind of slowly go and wander around through the world, kind of finding and telling their own stories and quests. So with the first game eventually that we're working on, the idea is to kind of slowly tell these little micro stories as things go on. And that's something I'm really happy about right now. I've got um, I've got a person or two writing some fluff currently to kind of help flesh out the world. Uh, I'm planning on with the Kickstarter to release little character cards with each of the figurines to um, give them a, just a little bit more background. I realize if you're developing miniatures, you don't really need to do quite that much, but it just it feels right. All these characters have stories in my mind, and I just want people to use them however they want, but to understand if they don't, that they all have a place and they all belong somewhere. Awesome. Okay. So you you're definitely you're, you're trying to make your world a little bit more unique in the fact that again it's not it's not dark it's not gritty you're not going for the blood and guts and the mud and the boots you're you're going for I, I don't want to call it an anime style because it's not you know you're not talking like way over the top action obviously there is a there's a slight bit of that element in there, but you're not you're not going for that crazy, ridiculous, you know, Slayers style. Yeah. The best description I can give is, um, if you guys have watched it, Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes, that, okay. 
that feel for the world where there's serious consequences, but there's still a cabbage guy making jokes. Uh, that's kind of, that. That's what I want. That's exactly what I would want. Uh, so that's what I'm aiming for. Hopefully it comes off, but you know this thing is, you know, as soon as the Kickstarter comes out and people start getting these miniatures, and I can get some people writing some things, it's going to start taking a life of its own. And so right now, the kind of Avatar: The Last Airbender, that feel for the world, that's what I want. But that may not necessarily be what it turns out becoming. It may get darker, it may get lighter, it may be cartoony and fun, but right now, that's what I'm gunning for. Nice. Well, it's, it's a good medium, because it, it, it has, I guess if you want to call it, more mature elements and consequences without making it feel like kick-ass, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> where it's like, oh yeah, we're all adventurers, but we're all going to get our faces kicked in and neutered and thrown <laughs> back out into the world like completely useless. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely going to be consequences. I mean, hell, one of the characters in the Kickstarter has lost an arm, and the fluff is he basically lost it during a fight, but he doesn't let it hold him back. And instead of using a sword and a shield, he's just got a giant shield with spikes on it. Um, so there's there's consequences. Characters are going to bleed and lose limbs, and there's going to be death, there's going to be life, there's going to be all sorts of things. It's just... Um, I don't know. It's a wide open world. That's that's part of the reason I'm excited about it. Is there's a lot of stories that are sitting there waiting to be told that I haven't gotten a chance to do it yet. Nice, nice. So, talk to us a little bit. You know, obviously, I don't want you to go into too much detail because we don't want to spoil anything that you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. That's not my goal. However, you've got the five adventurers right now. Yes. What are your plans? for stretch goals or other ideas that may or may not make it into the campaign? Um, well, I have... Oh, God, I have so many ideas. Um, Adepticon was really cool because uh, a lot of people came up and actually that was my first foray into... I am a real company! Um, that was my first foray into that. So I got a lot of suggestions and ideas, and since I announced this thing, I've had a lot of different concepts. I won't share the stretch goals... The first three yet. I want those to be secret because I want those to be a surprise. I'm going to tease one of them before the Kickstarter. But some of the ideas I've got are uh, there is a pug Sicilian merchant lord. Ah, okay. (laughs) I just love the idea of this kind of mafioso pug and like the big puffy sleeve sitting behind a table just being like, Buena sera. I just love it. See, I was picturing a pug Borgia. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so th- that was one idea. I just love the idea of him s- with two German shepherds on either side of him, just kind of guarding him. Uh, that was one idea. <laughs> Another one was a pirate gorilla grappler, so basically like a pit fighter, but a pirate gorilla. Then someone mentioned you should make it a female gorilla. You don't see a lot of those, and I was like, oh yes, gonna do that. Um, I just love the gorilla. I just love the idea of this giant gorilla with these giant punching gloves but like a skirt um, <laughs> uh, beyond that I've also got uh, this is actually a suggestion uh, that a guy made he said you need to do an alpaca and I was like oh my god <laughs> like the cons because here's the thing when you're doing like animals and characters and armors your thought process immediately goes to something like a wolf or a stag, something that's got a big presence about it, or like a red panda. It's a very visual, identifiable animal. Something that comes off as, like, badass. Like, that's the first thing that your mind jumps to. Yeah, like, I've, I've got an idea for, like, a big cat, like a snow leopard that's also going to be uh, uh, on the punchy side of things, although that may be a little too kung fu panda. Um, but, yeah, so the alpaca one came about, and I was like, oh, my God. I need to, like, I want it to happen as a challenge to myself. It's going to be an alpaca bounty hunter. With so, a blowgun. Oh, my God. Well, here's the idea. It was to do an alpaca that is, like, the good and the bad, the ugly Clint Eastwood. With, yes. like, an eye patch and a snaggle tooth. Like, I freaking love that idea so much. Um, and I'm really happy that guy gave it to me. He's just like, you can have it. And I was like, thank God, I want it. Um <laughs> See, I'm picturing I'm picturing that guy like I was saying with like a blowgun because alpacas spit, so it's just like <laughs> a natural weapon for him. Blowgun, like he just shoots things at people. He <laughs> See, spits into a pipe and shoots things at people. <laughs> see, if this was an actual animated show, I could see a whole joke reel of just him spitting in a spittoon like every other sentence. Yes. 
<laughs> um, oh my god, what else besides that? Um, I want us doing insects in this world. I kind of imagine because there aren't the like, animals or people. I tried to imagine what would be the kind of workhorse of this universe, and insects are one of the things that came to mind. Um, I'm trying. I'm I'm remembering the Bugaloo from uh, freaking Futurama. Um, but <laughs> there is a there is an idea I had for. Um, I've always loved big armored giant beetles. Always loved them. I think if you're a concept artist and you don't love them, you're wrong. Um, so I had this idea of doing a death knight. Like, you know when you step on an insect or a cockroach and it gets back up and skitters away with, like, one leg kind of trailing behind it? I spent 10 years in Florida, so it's kind of like the palmetto bug. You'll step on them, they'll kick you back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or you'll try yeah. and crush it, and then it'll find you in the night and then stab you. Right. Uh, I lived in Savannah for a couple of years, so, yeah, I know what that's like. Um, they don't just stab you. They'll take your wallet, too. <laughs> <laughs> I blame the schools. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, so I had this idea for this armored Death Knight beetle, and the thing is, they have uh, six limbs, so I thought it could walk upright on the back two legs, then have either two two-handed swords, like one on each side, or have four different weapons in its arms, so basically it'd be just a whirlwind of death. Um, I really like that idea, but I'm, I'm not sure if that one's going to make it in or not, but uh, we'll see. But that's the thing, too. I mean, if you think of the entire freaking animal world, there's so many things to pick from. And the thing is, the, the rule of thumb I've set up is this. It can't be predictable. Um, like, there is one. There's the turtle tank. That one was too easy. But I wanted to... I, I made him lose an arm, so that was fine. But it can't be too painfully predictable. Like, a wolf hunter is an easy, predictable character to do. But, like, a wolf ranger with a crossbow, instead of making him, like, come up and claw at things... That, that's something a little bit easier. So an example would be uh, a platypus. Uh, people, or a beaver would be like a leather worker, or not a leather worker, would be a woodworker, or would own a lumber mill or something like that. A little too predictable, so I'd want to try and put a twist on it. An example is a platypus. Someone mentioned you would got to put a platypus in this game, and I was like, I could see that, but I could see him being a blacksmith, and then using his tail to actually work the bellows as he's smithing during the day. And you got to make them a ladies' man because everybody says that they're the ugliest animal on the planet. <laughs> they have a poison barb in their leg. They're awesome. <laughs> they are awesome. I love platypuses. I was going to say, if, if it's someone in the tabletop industry who doesn't think platypuses are awesome, they need to go home. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but yeah, that's just some of the ideas I've got for it. There's plenty of room for other ones. There's actually going to be a backer level in the campaign. Uh... I can't remember the amount off the top of my head, but if you want your own character in the game or in the universe, feel more than free to back at that level, and you guys get to work directly with me, and we'll figure out a character for you. Nice. Yeah. So that's always a good incentive, because I know, especially with... I don't want to call your campaign small, but let's face it, you're, you're not a bigger company. You're, you're not representing like a major publisher out there. It's a 6K base goal, so it's a small, it's a small campaign. Sure. I mean, so you said it, but I didn't. But, <laughs> but again, when it comes to it, you know, especially when you're, you're you're more of an independent guy, you you definitely want to put out there like showing it's like, look, I am working with the community to make this more their project than it is mine. If yeah. that makes sense, because you got like the bigger companies, you know. Again, I've worked for Coolman or not for quite a while, so I know how their Kickstarters run. Mm -hmm. So. You know, with them, it's like, okay, cool, you do all these big, crazy backer levels, but it's like they've had everything planned out so far in advance to everything they're doing where it's like, you know, the whole custom character thing like they did with Zombicide Season 2, that didn't happen until they were already, I don't know, call it, I want to say it was like a half million dollars in. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do a half million dollars, I'm sure you'll just say, everybody gets their own free character, but, you know, um, <laughs> you know, ha having a level like that for people to kind of reach... Is is and for a lot of people a big thank you, mm -hmm. as well because it's like you're you're helping their vision come to life through your project. Well, yeah, it's I'm just uh, what's the best way of putting this is I'm just the guy who's getting this off the ground. Uh, I don't want people to think that this is such a closed off world that there aren't more stories or more characters that can be introduced to it. If someone's got a good suggestion for a character that they want to see in the game, I'll listen to it. 
I'll gladly read that email and be like, that's awesome. I'll see what I can do. I'm also uh, a very small operation, so it may take a while before I get it in there. But, you know, uh, having supporting the community and having their input and really taking it to heart, that's, that's one of the key things about this industry. The second you stop doing that, you're screwed. They are going to just absolutely burn you for it. Because I, I love our industry and I love the backers and, and the people that are in the stores. I love them to death. I love the customers. Um, but if, like most nerds, if you get on their bad side or get their passion wrong, they will burn you. So yeah, you got to be a little that, bit you toxic careful. fuckers. <laughs> toxic? No, they're not at all. They just <laughs> wouldn't burn out. Well, listen, as long as our community doesn't turn into, like, a MOBA, League of Legends kind of community, oh, I'm Jesus happy. I, I, would start, I would be burning every game sort of the ground possible. Can you imagine playing, like, a skirmish tabletop game and some guy comes up to you and be like, way to go, I fucked your mom, and then just walks off, and you're like, what? <laughs> you realize this isn't the internet. I can see you. And anybody that knows me also knows what I would do to them if they, if they did that to me. <laughs> I'd be highly entertained. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, because um, a lot of that can also be said of, like, well, any internet community. Um, I haven't really mentioned it before on the, the podcast, but, like, I, well, I've mentioned it a little bit, but, like, I, I play uh, fighting games pretty competitively. Like, I used to go to Evo and a lot of things like that. Playing Street Fighter, my game, my game's a choice always, like, Blaze Blue and Guilty Gear. Oh. Um, I love those, like, high-speed, like, you need to be on meth to compete, like, anime games where it's, like, timing is everything, and there's air dashes and air cancels and, you know, more than just, if I throw this combination, I will hit and I will win. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like a lot of that craziness. And, uh, you know, of course, playing online, I started getting into other games, and I remember there was one time, this is going way back, like, I started realizing how toxic the whole, like, internet, like, you know, I'm anonymous behind a keyboard or behind mm-hmm. a microphone kind of bullshit is. I was playing Rainbow Six Vegas, the first one that came out. And I remember I was playing the rooftop level, and I don't remember the name of it. So any listeners out there, if you remember it, please help me remember, because it's been that long ago. But it was, like, first game, it was, like, the most popular map. And there was this kid in there, and he couldn't have been any older than 12, 13. Squeakers. Got it. Yeah, squeakers. And he's in there, he's like, oh, you know, uh, I fucked your mom last night. And I'm like... <laughs> and, of course, it's, like, every line is, like, your mom, I fucked your mom, yada, yada. And I was like, well, yeah, that's great, kid. I mean, the joke's on you. My mom's got AIDS. <laughs> and I just left it at that, and everybody was like, wow, you were a dark son of a bitch. I'm like, hey, I shut him up, didn't I? As you notice, yeah. I'd be the one guy in the chat lobby that'd be like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, got, I got a lot of that, but at the same time, it's like, I noticed that even going into the fighting game community, I remember one time I was playing a game of Blaze Blue online, and I know we're kind of going off track here, but, uh, you know, you have you have these morons that are like, well, you know, they've learned, like, two combos they saw from YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's like suddenly they're a master of the game. And uh, I could tell the kid was using a fight stick just because you could hear, like, the, the eight-way, the octagon gate on the, the, the ball stick and yeah. the buttons. You could tell that it was a fight stick. I didn't know if it was, like, one of the, like, typical $80 ones or, like, one of the expensive, like, $200 ones. I couldn't tell that. Mm-hmm. But I remember that... Uh, we were playing Blaze Blue, and I ended up catching him in a nasty fucking combo because of the fact that he he just kept doing the same predictable like shit over and over and over again. It's like you're gonna catch me with it once, and he'd be like, "Okay, you're this guy," you know. And so I would just school him, and then he'd be like, "Well, I can guarantee you're not gonna do that to me the next round." And he was all like butthurt. And you know, so the next round it comes again, and sure shit, 20 seconds into the match, I've got him into a 99 hit combo with him in the corner. And I was an Arakune player. And I know this probably means absolutely nothing to anybody listening. But Arakune was a dick. Okay? If I got you in the corner, you were fucked. So I caught him in the corner with like a 99-hit combo. And I never let him touch the ground. I remember hearing this kid screaming and like slamming his like like his fist on the buttons of his, his joystick. And like him reaming on the fucking joystick trying to make something happen. And I'm like... Is this what the internet has come to? Is this what gamers have come to? I mean, maybe it's just because I'm old, but like I remember like walking into arcades or game stores, and if you play against somebody, like you're right there. 
if I was to be that kind of a dick to somebody, it meant I was probably getting my ass kicked. Yeah. You know? So like that whole that whole thing of like people being that way online, I just I don't get it. Well, uh, I'll put it to you this way: I, I grew up. Um, I feel like I was just young enough slash old. My age range is appropriate for people like. I didn't really get into playing games online until I was 18 or so. That's when it started becoming like everyone was playing games online. And I just remember I was a younger brother. So I played with my older brother or his friends or my friends all the time. Where if you were a dick, you got hit. You got just like I I got punched in the face or the head or I got hit by a ladder once. Um, Things happen. You guys but took the Mario series. <laughs> but that's that's when you're sitting side by side with someone, and they can give you a nut shot if you're really being an absolute bastard to them. Whereas uh, the alternative example is when I was playing uh, back in my Call of Duty days. Right after a breakup, I played Call of Duty for a while. Forgive me. Um, although I loved it to death, I did. This is this is back in the Modern Warfare two and three days. Um, it was but a dark I, time. It was a dark time. Although we came up with a lot of fun lobby pranks. That was a good time. I remember this one time I was playing against a squeaker. And it was me and my brother had a whole clan. So we had a full lobby of just us in our in, in our chat group. And then this one kid, we, we played a round of it, and he died three times, or he got three kills, died 21 times. Which in Call of Duty, you might as well just go bury yourself alive because you're terrible. Um, even though I'm pretty sure I had a three and 52 game once, uh, that was a bad, that was a bad time. You were fantastic. I was awesome at that game. Um, <laughs> no, but like, this is when I was, uh, on a, when I was actually good at shooters. I'm not anymore. So this kid, he lost so bad and I was sniping on that map and I killed him. He ran out the same route, killed him 13 times in a row, 13 times in a row. I remember we got in the lobby afterwards, and he was like, come on, bro, one-on-one. Put the clans aside, bro, you and me. Again, 12-year-old squeaking kid, you and me, bro. Let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. I fucked your mom. I'm sitting there like, dude. It's, uh, that is always thrown in there. I fucked your mom. It's your gay, I fucked your mom, something else. <laughs> and something I've, distur- I've disturbingly discovered recently is people making masturbation noises and then listening to loud techno. I don't know why. But it's happening a lot. Uh, so that kid lost his mind on me. And then we're sitting there. He kept saying, like, one-on-one, bro. One-on-one. And we just sat there like, kid, it's a game. Calm down. Which, coming from me, is rich. I, I do have some video game rage. Uh, some. A lot. Uh, so the next round we played against this kid, of course, none of us backed out. None of his clan backed out. None of mine did. I got in the same spot, and then I think he died. 25 times that round and got one kill. And then the second the round was over, he just rage quit and got out of there. And I was like, someone's got a broken video game controller. Guaranteed. <laughs> uh, yeah, but see, if that had happened when he was sitting next to me on a couch, it would have been like, okay, you need to put the controller down and walk away. It'll be alright. That's, that's actually what I'm working on with my 10-year-old, is hey, don't get mad at the game just because you suck at it right now. <laughs> just go play it again. Because he plays, like, even on his phone, he'll be playing Mortal Kombat. And he's like, the computer's totally cheating. They can't do these things. <laughs> Apparently they can. I mean, the computer doesn't cheat. Might feel like it, but they don't. See, that's why games like Dark Souls are brilliant, because you're going in knowing that you don't have a chance. So once you actually get past it, it's this huge accomplishment. Yes, that, that is the one thing with Dark Souls that I can say is, like, anybody that has played anything from from software, you know exactly what you're getting into. And if you don't, then clearly you don't know how to internet. Mm-hmm. Because they don't even, like... Dark Souls is a good example of that. They've got an entire screen of statistics that they tell you nothing about. They expect you to figure it out on your damn own. Mm-hmm. Like, what is vitality boost? What is strength boost? What is dexterity boost? What does uh, intellect boost? What is faith boost? You know, and it's all this stuff where it's like, what am I gaining by putting points into these? You know, I'm trying to make like a big tank guy, but like dexterity seemed like a fantastic idea. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, it might for a little bit, but 
knowing what it takes in order to really make everything work in that game is such a bitch. And, like, <laughs> you, you get into the games knowing that. And if, if you go in there thinking that, like, you're going to have a, uh, just a fun little time, it's going to suck. You're going to hate life, and you're probably going to jump out your second story window. <laughs> um, as someone who has fallen through his second story window, it's not a good time. Don't do it. Trust me. Um, yeah, I agree fullheartedly. That game, uh, if you go in there expecting to... I think that's something that we have come to understand in, this, in video games recently is, like, they're all very easy. It's all built for you to get to the end no matter what because, you know, you spend all this money developing a game. You want people to get to the end of it. Where From Software is just like, nah, if you quit, we don't care. Go home. You're fine. Go yeah. cry in your diaper. You're gay. I had sex with your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining this really proper Japanese guy saying that, then bowing and then walking away, and I'd just be like, I got I got nothing. You win. You're a gay I fucked her mom. Dong and just walked away. <laughs> well we're getting letters. Alright. Yeah, I think the gong noise, I think that's what pushed it. That pushed that pushed it to a level of hilarity we needed. And letters. Lots of letters. <laughs> The guy that's making that red panda game, he's a racist. He's a racist. <laughs> no, I'm not. There's all animals of shapes, creed, and colors in my game. Exactly. Except those pandas. Can't... I'm just kidding. The fucking pandas. God damn the main it. character has panda in his name. <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hate mailed by someone, and I'm gonna be like, dude, they're animals in armor. Just don't buy the minis. That's fine. <laughs> the furry community will come up and pause. Get it? <laughs> listen, if the listen, if the furry community digs these minis, I am going to be a very happy individual because they have money that they can spend on things. And if my minis involve that, awesome. I'm on board. When they're not sauntering off in a hallway in the middle of a convention, fapping to one another in their fox suits. Yep, <laughs> I said it. I'm a fan of furries. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Okay, I take the official stance of uh, as long as nobody's getting hurt and you don't touch my face after whatever event you're doing, that's fine. I actually... Also, yeah, I, go ahead, sorry. I actually do know some people who have either uh, done furry events in their past or have uh, <laughs> dated people who are serious furries, and they will staunchly defend it as is their right but as the, at the same time, for me, it's personally, I'm not into it, but that is okay. Again, if they want to buy my minis, I'm more than happy for them to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, I've always had a saying that I've used when explaining, like, because people always wonder, like, why furries weird me out. Well, there was one instance, like, I'm no longer, first off, I'm no longer allowed into anime Milwaukee. Um, <laughs> going to that in a second. But, like, I actually had to explain this to people once. They, they were like, why is it, why do furries bother you so much? And I, so I remember t talking to my buddy, and I, I, I told him, it's like, so let me get this straight. We're going to call him Bill for all, we're going we're to protect his name for this one. So I was like, Bill, let me ask you a question. If you and uh, Angie, and again, that's not a real name, but we're going to keep him protected, okay? If you and Angie were walking down the street and I was just walk up to you at random. And again, so keep in mind, anybody listening, I'm talking about the weirdo furries that don't know their own fucking boundaries. Keep that in mind. If you want to get together in fox suits and rabbit suits and all that and do something off in the woods where nobody's paying attention, cool. However, some of the initial furries I've run into were like those weirdos that thought that like it's perfectly okay for them to run around in these suits and do whatever they wanted to people. So I, I remember telling Bill, I was like, hey, man, so let me ask you this. If I were to walk over and just start dry-humping your woman's leg in the middle of an alleyway or, like, out in the middle of the sidewalk, answer me honestly, would you beat my ass and make sure I go to jail? And he's like, yes, immediately. I was like, okay. So now let's say that I were to do that same thing, but I'm wearing a ski mask. Does that make it any better? And he was like, no, not at all. I was like, okay, so if I were to put on a rabbit suit and walk over to her and start doing that, would that be okay? And then he stopped and he thought about it. He's like, damn, i got to stop defending furries. <laughs> so another thing that happened, just for anybody out there, so yes, I've, I've had my own personal run-ins, and I'm sure I'm going to get letters on this. Bear with me. Um, I was at Anime Milwaukee, so I'll explain to you why I got kicked out. 
I was at enemy, enemy Milwaukee, and one of my buddies, who I told, you know, after my previous encounters with some of these fucking out there furries, decided that he was going to have one come up behind me and, like, hug me really tight. Okay? So, two things. Don't ever come up behind me and, like, hug me really tight. Okay? I've trained for shit like that. I will drop you. Two, when I don't know it, and there's a bunch of people around me, and all I feel is, like, fur on the back of my neck and on the back of my arms, I'm going to wig the hell out. Let's just say that if it wasn't for the helmet that this guy was wearing that was nice and padded, the suplex probably would have killed him. I got kicked out of anime in Milwaukee. And my buddy that I'm not going to mention his name and his friend that also thought this was hilarious decided to say, oh, that was one of the most epic things we've ever seen. And I'm like, I almost killed a kid. Because you guys wanted to push the limits. Congratulations. I I understand the seriousness of it. Uh, two things. One, uh, I'm pretty sure those guys get a very bad rap for the activities of just a small few within them. So oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like anything else on the planet. And I understand. I totally do. Agreed. Two, I think the sentence that you got kicked out of a convention because you suplexed a furry who, in a certain sense, had it coming for hugging you from behind. It's got to be one of the funniest damn things. I mean, <laughs> in my mind, violence is cartoony. So I feel bad. Uh, this is going to make me sound like a monster, but um, my my uh, most recent ex uh, would agree that I'm a monster because of this specific thought of pushing a grandmother down a set of stairs is one of the funniest things I can possibly think of. Not because she's going to take damage or die at the end of it. That's 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 horrible. Just for the noise that she would initially make of as she, like she's going down, and then at the bottom she'd hop back up with her walker and be like, "Goodness!" and then like shuffle off. That's how the violence happens in my mind. So it's always cartoonish, like so, always. So with your suplexing the furry, I just immediately imagined him making this like. Dog squeaker toy noise the second he made impact with the ground. Well, I couldn't tell what he said, but he definitely said something as I lifted him. Because, I mean, it was it was very sudden. Again, like, this wasn't like I let him sat there and kept groping me. It was like, it was like it happened. I was like, fuck this. And, like, <laughs> it was just, like, I was done. You know, because, again, it was like, it, it'd be different if he came up behind me and, like, put his hands on me. Like, first I'd be like, okay, dude, not cool. But, like, he came up behind me and, like, my my hands were down at my side, okay, because I had, like, my phone in one pocket, and I had the ticket for the event in the other one. So it's like my hands were at my side. And he came up and, like, hugged me around, like, my arms, you know, just like if somebody were to grab you and kind of lift you up. You know, like bear hugging you, only from behind in, in a fox suit. And, um, you know, it was just, like, I, I lost my shit. Like, I, I did, and I, I will 100% admit it. But it was just, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, first off, again... Even wearing these costumes, I understand that you're having fun with the shit. What made you think that was okay? <laughs> maybe, you're, maybe your friend asking him to come from behind and hug you. Well, again, that should also be another thing. That, that <laughs> like a stranger telling you, "Hey, it's a good idea to go hug that tattooed guy over there." Go behind <laughs> the tattooed guy and go hug him. That guy's got forearm tattoos. Go touch him. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a rule of thumb. Don't hug Tim from behind. Got it. Right. Well, I mean, you and Nick probably could. It'd be okay. I'd be okay with that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at us. We're adorable. Exactly. Totally. I, I can I can get with that. You know, it, it's totally fine. No homo. But anyway, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that kind of, like, my weirdness from furries comes from, like, a couple of different things. And, like, again, for the furry community out there, if anybody's out there listening, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail. I'm sure I'm going to get some unsubscribers. Understand that, again, what it comes down to for me, it's always those couple of assholes, just like any other community on the planet, that ruins it. Okay? That's that's where I'm going to leave it. Just like when you run into the tabletop gamer who hasn't showered for four days. Again, this yes. is a small minority, but they I've been to a convention. everybody. Right, been... You seem to smell them all. Listen, Gen Con needs proper air conditioning. Um, <laughs> all I remember is I had friends that were working in the demo hall all day long, and they were just like, dude, I can't. I can't handle it. Uh, just as a suggestion, pack more than one shirt, 
deodorant is always good. Um, it's always interesting when I hear things like, oh, I wish there was more like women in the tabletop gaming community. And I was like, I don't think you understand that there are a good amount of women in the tabletop. A, in the industry, it's diversified as hell, and I love that about it. And B, in the actual player base, the problem is is that at a big convention, when you're sitting around a bunch of dudes who haven't showered, not all of them, again, guarantee, but a small percentage of that plumber butt, no showering, sweating for days, and then kind of grunts and stares you down, it's not reflecting upon us well. It's not. Yeah, I wish not it was. At all. You know, in, as much as everybody like, likes to jump on the train and saying, oh, well, we're a very inclusive group, you know, it's like, and, oh, we wish there were more women. Well, here's the thing. Stop acting like a fucking creeper and shower. There will be more women. It's just, that's all there is to it. You know, I hate to say it like that, but uh, nobody likes to be around disgusting people. Yep. <laughs> that's why we do a podcast. Yes. In our own homes. Nobody yeah. needs to know that I'm not wearing boots. <laughs> Except for right now when I just go ahead and say it. <laughs> Yet somehow you manage to fit it in almost every episode. It's my damn show. I'll do what I want. I still get listened to it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, if the man wants to wear pants or not wear pants, that is his business. Right. <laughs> Just as long as you don't do that at a convention. Don't go in there pantsless. Bad things will happen to you. Yes, don't go, <laughs> don't go in there pantsless. Ugh, so one other thing i got to throw in there, too, when it comes down to conventions. If you're going to cosplay, I understand that. I respect it because a lot of people put a lot of hard work into it. Mm -hmm. However... A cosplay convention with the weapons and the armaments and wings and everything else, totally cool. I get it. Dragon Con is your con, okay? Now, I'm not saying that to sound like I'm not going to be inclusive to other conventions and people doing that. But one of my biggest problems that I have with so many of these people that get into the cosplay when it comes time to conventions are the people with like the giant-ass weapons or things that get in the way. I'm going to take Gen Con as a good example of that. If anybody who's listening has ever been to Gen Con, you all know how busy and jammed that exhibitor hall gets. If there was a fire that just erupted in the middle of that exhibitor hall, I guarantee you at least 50 people are dying. Because people are not going to be able to get out of there. I, now, bet you, I bet you if they had an actual fire drill that happened during the convention, everyone would be outside and there would just be a litany of anime cosplay weapons lining every inch of the hall. Just people just dr dropping them. They're done. Out. Yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest problems that people have, especially with, like, the bigger, I guess you want to call them consumer show conventions like Gen Con and Origins and things like that, is the people that cosplay, people always want their pictures. I get it. I, it's totally cool. You guys have, cosplayers have put a shit ton of work into their costumes. Like, they, they're going there because they want to show off their work. I get it. However, taking those pictures off to the side to where you're not getting in the way of the rest of the crowd is, is important. And I know that Gen Con's gone out of their way to really make that happen. However, the other part behind that, too, is that if you're going to have giant obnoxious pieces of your costume, like any of the 18 weeaboo kids out there that you will find in any Starbucks facility during the convention at any one particular minute, and they're all carrying around these oversized, like, bleach swords from the anime, and you're walking around the convention with that shit strung over your shoulder and looking around, and you're turning your whole body and smacking people in the face with your giant foam sword, get it the fuck out of there. There's a time and a place for that. In the exhibit halls where there's a lot of people, that's not it. <laughs> I'm just... All this is reminding me of one of my favorite things that happens around the time of Gen Con, which is people in ridiculous costumes riding public transit. One of my favorite things. Like, they will hop on Marta, and you will see a kid dressed like uh, a character from Yu-Gi-Oh!, and then you my favorite part is is watching all like the normal people who have no idea Dragon Con is happening at all. And then suddenly there is super anime kids sitting there just like it's another day. Like, you know what? This is just this is a Tuesday. I'm just going down. I actually thinking about that. When I was in college, I went to school uh I went to SCAD for uh sequential art, comic book art. And we were a all-inclusive, you know, if you want to be a nerd, let your freak flag fly, go for it, you know, game on. 
So we had kids literally come to class every single day in a full-blown anime costume. And, you know, we were a no-judgment zone, so they could do that. We were completely on board, but... Just like Planet Fitness. <laughs> but part of me was just sitting there thinking, like, dude, you, you have to get from your dorm to the actual building where your classes are. Like, there's a whole middle zone where people have no idea what's happening. I would probably follow a blog in about five seconds that were just nothing of people's reactions to kids in ridiculous cosplay costumes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It'd be like people at Walmart, but twice as entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is, especially when it comes down to people like that, and again, what it comes down to is, again, if you are not obstructing anything or hurting anybody, let your freak flag fly. Like, you you want to dress like Naruto every damn day of the week, just make sure you have multiple costumes so I don't have to smell you. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's, that's, that's really kind of my big thing is, you know, but again, like the convention thing and things like that, like, those halls already get crowded enough as it is, you know, and, like, when you're walking around with, like, some big eight-foot sword, I understand you put a shit ton of work into that. I get it. I respect it. I'm cool with it, especially if it comes out looking really, really nice. Or if you're, you're a younger kid and, like, this is your first project and you're just getting into this and, like, sure, it's rough and tumble. We all get it, but we respect it. But the moment you have that shit slung over your shoulder and you're spinning around and you're weaponing everybody in the head who's just, like, walking by, like, eventually – you're going to hit the wrong damn person. And as much as I understand these are all like safe spaces and safe zones and, you know, everything else that people like to throw out there, somebody's going to take offense to that, and it's going to make your time at this convention terrible because you were not thinking of others. I, I think we've all been there when you've been walking behind someone in some ridiculous costume like that. Maybe not ridiculous, but there's a lot. Of, I remember walking behind someone who had a full set of angel wings full size that were out. And they were walking around the house. I remember very specifically, there was this woman walking ahead of me and she just had to do the like, uh, the power dive to like get out of the way of the wing coming at their face. And I was like, how many times have I been at a convention where I've had to do that? Oh like, yeah, and it's, a, it's annoying. And especially like, if you can't, you know, it comes down to that thing too, where everybody that's moving in there, unfortunately you kind of develop that herd mentality where it's like, well, I guess I'm walking this way. You know, like you, you're not really like you almost feel like a dick for stopping and looking in a booth because it's like there's so many people that are like coming up behind you that you veering off that path is slowing them down you know what I mean yeah. so it's, it's one of those things it's like you're dealing with that where somebody's got like a full spread of wings on and like now the path has to clear for these people and like if they turn around what happens if they turn around or what happens if like something startles them or, you know, and I'm not saying that they're like freaky flighty people, but like, you know, like something in the booth, like you're, you're walking by Gen Con's one of those places. There's always that din of noise, but then you've always got those guys that like to create those elaborate booths where it's like, they might have a video on. Right. And you're used to that din in the background, but then it's like, you hear like a thunderclap and it's like right next to your freaking head. And it's like, there's always something at Gen Con that startles you a little bit to where you kind of stop and do that turn, you know, and it's like, what happens if you're wearing these full spread of wings and you're basically like turning 90 degrees? Like, you, you're gonna you're gonna be hitting a lot of people. You're gonna be pissing a lot of people off. You're gonna be slowing down a line of people that are like, okay, I might be here for one day, but I need to hit all these booths, and they're all in opposite sides of this giant convention hall. I think what they should do is have like an exhibitor lane, like how streets have bike lanes. Yes which I live in downtown Atlanta. There's a lot of people riding bikes. That's great. Do your thing. Be fit. Just don't ride it in the middle of the street, and then when I pass you, scream, you're a motherfucker at me. I kind of appreciate it if that didn't happen. Uh, but no, at Gen Con, I swear they should have a light system at most intersections, especially near the big booths, and there should be a exhibitor lane. One person wide. That's it. But so you can just stealthily make your way through. Because you're working a booth and you're using the restroom for five minutes, that's enough time for someone to uh, lose a sale. I want it. I, I can tell you this just from working the different booths that have been at a Gen Con. There's been times where I I might be three entries down, like th three booths, if you want to call that, or three spaces down from a bathroom. And because of traffic, especially on like that Thursday when everybody's in there for that rush of the new stuff and Saturday when it's like the people that couldn't make it for the four days but like this is their weekend to geek out, like, those are your two busy days during Gen Con. Mm -hmm. Three spaces down from the bathroom, and it takes me sometimes 15 minutes 
just to go and take a leak. Yep. Like, that should not be a thing. Like, I know a lot of people have said Gen Con has become way crowded. It's become too big of a show. And, and a part of me says that's really cool because it shows that, like, people really want this stuff to happen. But at the same time, like, you cannot, as a con-goer, if you go to Gen Con, get pissed off and up in arms if they start putting in rules that might restrict what your version of fun is. If your version of fun is disrupting to other people, and I'm not talking harm, but again, like the giant costumes, the giant bullshit hanging off of it. And again, I only say that because that's how people perceive it when you're in these giant lines or like packed areas. Maybe being in the exhibitor hall with that stuff on is not the best idea. <laughs> Have the yeah. cosplay hallway. Like I know a lot of people said, well, then you're, you're stifling our creativity. Not really if you actually make it a hallway with, like, this is the space for that and there's banners and everything else to point people there. Because, again, people are taking pictures of you. They're appreciating it. You can't tell me that us as normal con-goers being appreciative of you off in your own section, your own dedicated section, doing that stuff is going, is going to be detrimental to your version of fun for a convention. I don't buy it. Wow, I sound like a political asshole. But, you know, I think my thing of it is I've just been to so many conventions now that I've become jaded. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit, after you go to six years' worth of conventions, at least three major conventions a year, uh, yeah, there, there, there's certain things. Like, okay, first year of the convention, you see people in costumes, you, you kind of deal with the lines because there's so much stuff to look at, so much wonderful things to take in. Uh, that was my first year at Dragon Con. Beautiful costumes, awesome stuff to look at left and right. Got hit in the face at least seven times. That was fine. Um, but at the point we're at now, like, people in the giant costumes does bother me. Not terribly, but typically because I can see them coming and I can be like, nope, and then just shuffle my way around it. The thing that gets me the most is just shuffling in a crowd. I don't know what it is. I don't get angry at many things, but... Being a cattle in a crowd, man, drives me absolutely crazy. And it's 90%. It's a convention. People are literally stopping, and they're looking at things. That's cool. Go for it. It's when people check their phone in the middle lane of the traffic that makes me wish I had a cosplay of a, like, snowplow that's angled just towards the side so I can just plow through the middle and be like, all right, we're cool. Don't worry about it. Or a freight train. <laughs> yeah, we've got cosplays of freight train with the, the cattle splitter on the front, and you come in behind like the snowplow. People will start getting a hint the moment you start running into people with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's going to have a very short con, but he's going to be very entertaining while he's there. Oh, I would take pictures the whole way. I'd be the camera guy behind him, just following him, watching his hijinks. <laughs> I, love so, that guy. Yeah, I would be the guy with his phone out, but I would just be following and filming this. It'd be like almost like an ambulance chaser. Just something <laughs> bad's going to happen, and I'm going to catch it on film. Oh, man. I'll just talk about cons. Now I'm excited about Gen Con. I'm mainly excited <laughs> because it's going to be uh, my second foray as like an official presence. Like, I have a product. Look at it. Don't you want to buy it? And if you talk just like that to people, they will probably buy more of it. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I went to a guy's booth once, and he spoke in a ridiculous, over-the-top, English, old English accent. And it was such a uh, a, a put-off for me. Like, I was thinking about buying something. Then he was like, what ho, good sir? Perhaps thou hast thine penny for a product? And I was like, nope, I'm out. Done. Because <laughs> if I had to sit there and have this, like, I literally was trying to say stuff like, so what about that news from yesterday? It's like, oh, that car hitting that pedestrian. I was just trying so desperately to get him out of it. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. That's too much. Yeah, I, I will sit there. Listen, I can do a pretty stellar Cleveland from uh, Family Guy. I'll do that voice all day long, but uh, beyond that, I think, nah, I don't want it. No, just be yourself. Like that's the biggest thing. Just be yourself, and don't be ashamed of it, unless you're like a furry. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming at another point. I knew it was. <laughs> just be yourself. Unless you're not, then you're terrible. So, so the best part in all of this is when I was first getting to know Tim, like, one of the first things he told me is, I don't like furries. 
he and his wife and my wife and I, we go out to a place to have drinks and get to know each other and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, so we're chatting and whatnot, and we're on our way back, and we're talking about different things, and he's like, yeah, I'm not allowed in this con again. I'm like, why? He's like, I don't like furries. And yeah. I'm like, okay, there's a story here. And he yeah. tells me the story, and I'm like, oh. So ever since then, anytime I see anything that's got an animal in it, I send it to him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I, I fucking hate you. All the damn time. All well, that's, the damn time. That's, that's what you do with your friends. You figure out their weaknesses or things that annoy them, and then you keep doing those things until they hit you. Yeah. And then the cycle continues. And then the cycle continues. Well, guys, I hate to cut this short, but, uh, you know, everybody knows that we try to keep this thing roughly about an hour, and uh, it is 9.12, and my ass gets up really, really early in the morning. So we are going to call it an end of this episode. I think we have uh, done a good job of uh, covering everything that's going to be coming out for Red Panda. Um, Definitely make sure that we get links to everything that you got going on. I want to make sure I post it in the uh, show notes and everything else. Make sure we get it out there. we got to get your stuff hoard out as much as possible. And I say hoard out with the most loving loving affection of the world's greatest pin. But uh, we, we got to do that for you. And, uh, you know, again, thanks for coming on the show, man. We definitely got to do this again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm sure I'm going to have plenty more stuff to talk about. So, yeah, we'll do it again sometime soon. Awesome. Nick, is there anything else you want to throw in there before we go? If anyone wants to dress up as a furry and just follow right, Tim around. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll talk to you I am potentially offering money. Don't hug him. <laughs> You will get suplexed into the ground, but just follow him. <laughs> That's right, also I'm, a bad idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna jam in one uh, selfless, shameless self promotion. Do it. Uh, so Kickstarter official date is June the 20th, 12 days away. If you guys are interested in any of the stuff I talked about or interested in any of the minis, feel free to go check it out. If there's any furries out there, understand I will not suplex you if you hug me. Just don't touch my face. Uh, and I will be more than happy to take your money for buying miniatures because they're awesome, and you could maybe dress up like them if you wanted to. I'd be okay with that. I would actually endorse that just because of the fact that I enjoy your miniatures line. Yeah. You see that? There you go. All right. Solid. All right, guys. Have a good night. We'll talk to you later. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy, We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at Tim at SkirmishSupremacy.com or Nick at SkirmishSupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.